Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Brian Kelly, and Steve Grasso. Tesla under attack by the bears again today. The stock's sinking 6% to a fresh multi-year low, and Karen says there's even more trouble under the hood. She'll give us the fine print. Plus, the man who called last year's sell-off, Mark Yusko of Morgan Creek Capital, is back, and he says stocks are in for a double-digit decline this year. You won't believe what he says to buy instead. But we start off with the markets lower today as we are in the thick of retail earnings, and there's been one key theme amid these reports. Tariff anticipation. Everyone from Macy's to Walmart, Home Depot, and Target citing the trade war as a future headwind for the space. Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin saying he spoke to the Walmart CFO and is monitoring the situation closely. With the retail ETF down more than 7% this month alone, is there more pain to come for the group? Tim. Well, the retail community or the consumer is supposed to be pretty healthy right now on the basis of where you see jobless claims. By the way, jobless claims have been weakening. So there are some people that are already starting to say, hey, you know what, we're at peak labor and this is a dynamic. You talk about the XRT. So the XRT is down about 8% in, in 20 sessions um, and basically is given back half, halfway to where it was on December 24th when we would all acknowledge the world was in a pretty scary place. So, um, you know, I, I think we're in a dynamic here where a lot of retailers are looking at the, the, the net cost to them on imports. They're looking at a consumer that's retrenching. But more importantly, there are some secular issues in the sector, I think, for department stores, as we've learned that. And even even some of the, how should we call it, the consumer discretionary names that I don't think are as in control of their destiny as they once were. So those those were issues that were plaguing retail for the last two years. And I think they're coming back to light in a global growth slowdown. Yeah, we definitely had highlights and lowlights so far from right. retail earnings season. Yes, I mean, we've definitely had some of each. We've had some self-inflicted wounds, right? Um, and then we've had some really great performance. I think, you know, obviously today, Target, very good job. I, I mean, I, I was very impressed with Target. And uh, they seem to be doing all the right things. They seem to be able to withstand the potential Amazon threat. Uh, they're really doing a good job on so many fronts and making the transition to have digital, uh, their digital business be very important, growing nicely. On the flip side, Lowe's today, I view much, but not all of Lowe's, as very much self-inflicted wounds. When you look at their business and why should it be materially different than Home Depot, it shouldn't. We've known that for a while. That's how they knew, why they had new management. They've been working on it, but they seem to have shot themselves in the foot. And so Lowe's now it had gotten close to a Home Depot valuation. And then Home Depot just still is the premier name in the industry. Home Depot is now more expensive, but... I think the execution risk of Lowe's is much greater. I would much rather be in Home Depot than Lowe's at this price, even though Home Depot is a little bit more expensive. You know, we'll see. We'll see how Lulu does. I mean, they've been a constant performer through any market. But if you look at things that have furniture exposure, like if you look at a restoration hardware, Macy's cited it. I also think even if you're a retailer and you think you have the China trade situation manageable, why come out and put out an aggressive number? 
Yeah. Right? Why do it? It's free to kind of, you know, tamper down Is it more that, though? Is it more that? Because you guys, it, it took to like the last sentence to start talking about the trade wo- woes that we're seeing in the, uh, in the retail sector. I have to throw that phone. It's flashing. <laughs> so, um, but but is, it, is it more of secular or is it really trade? Because you would think that they have this trade issues this is not the first time we're hearing about so it. You're it's trying not to the figure out if it's so only it's, to look through or if there's a real problem right. on a macro level. I think if, if, it's if, some, if it's more of what the two of you had said, then there's a real problem with retail that we're seeing. But I think they should already be confronted with whatever trade tariffs that we're seeing. They could see more coming on, but they should have workarounds. And I like the fact that Mnuchin is talking to Walmart. It makes me think more positively about Walmart. I don't Walmart. think you can have work. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you have workarounds like that, right? No. We've had right. uncertainty yeah. for a while. It's very difficult to change what has been your sourcing structure for a very long time. And I know like Capri, which has traded terribly, which I own, has tried to do that, and I think they've been somewhat successful in doing that, but it's very hard to do. But the so stock the- doesn't wait. That doesn't have to wait. As long as there is some sort of a workaround, it's not instant fix, but the stock price will move but higher. That's what the in whole, so the whole market has been anticipating that this that trade tariffs are something we work through and we look through, and there's going to be a challenge to it. What I think is starting to happen in the market, and retail is probably that canary in the coal mine, is the market starting to say, wait a second, maybe this is going to last longer than we expected. Maybe just even an incremental improvement on the talks isn't going to be enough. This is starting to impact our actual business. Now, in terms of retail, they're getting hit on both ends, right? So we have the secular change in how products are sold, this digital revolution coming in, uh, and then at the same time, you have a tariff hitting them. So for retailers, as Karen pointed out, it's all about execution. If your management team is not executing on point in this environment, you just get crushed. I just, I just think it's impossible to not think about all of this. And I, I think we're all dancing around macro. This, to me, is all about macro. And, and even though we want to point at, at some of the, the secular, I, I mentioned the secular issues and or bottom up in the form of management teams that aren't executing, um, you have to look at look, look at commodity prices that are falling. Look at bond yields around the world that are basically, you know, bones are back near essentially what have been, you know, three-year low, actually all-time lows. Excuse me. If you look at uh, copper's down almost 20 percent in the last 25 days. Mm-hmm. Oil broke down today. Um, so, you know, the, the one of the conversations yesterday was, you know, how it seems like the market's kind of done nothing, but there's a lot of stuff below the surface that looks pretty nasty. To me, retail is the place you're going to be suffering if you're starting to see some deterioration in, in the leading index. And the consumer, which is ultimately the backstop for this economy in this country, it's 70 percent of the economy, um, is, is certainly has no reason to go out there and be spending at will right but now. Consumer confidence, though, and sentiment is at all time historic highs. So I look at that that commodity uh, complex coming in as deflationary. So I look at that as almost a tailwind for a lot of these consumer uh, consumer names and and retail names. So for Maybe. me, I, th- I think that the back half of the year, we set up with deflation in lumber prices with Home Depot. We set up with trade worries. I think the back half of the year is going to be much more positive for a lot of these I think so. I agree. I think the consumer's in good shape. I think that, you know, Look, we have interest rates down, so I think I've been surprised we haven't seen more of it of a of a home buying bubble mm-hmm. or, or, or more activity. Let's not call it a bubble, but home buying activity and all of the spending that goes on after that at a Home Depot, maybe less at a Lowe's, apparently. <laughs> but I, I, I think the consumer's still in good shape. Employed, w- wages are going up. Uh-huh. I, so, so then what's going So in terms of retailers that can withstand 
some of these both macro issues as well as tariff issues. It's the ones that have already done well, Walmart and Target, those two. And, and Target's probably a little bit better positioned than, than Walmart in that they have some more moves that they can make. Walmart's kind of already made this digital transformation. But look at the ones that have already performed. Somebody like a Walmart actually might do pretty well if oil actually goes lower, which I happen to think it's going to. That is that so-called tax cut for the consumer probably impacts the Walmart customer a lot more than anybody else. I'm glad that the uh, Treasury Secretary is on the phone with the Walmart CFO. I also would like him to be on the phone with maybe a Macy's CFO, also the CFO of some something like a Wayfair. I mean, just to yeah. get sort of a broad. You would think of all the retailers, Walmart would be the best equipped to deal with tariffs, to find a workaround solution, to squeeze their suppliers maybe he's to trying to use them. some of the costs. Maybe he's trying why, to use them, yeah. I guess I'm, I'm, why, why Macy's? In other words, to find out where department stores are, are factoring in, how to find different suppliers yeah, and exactly, different trade yeah. routes. So it's, not, it's not just the largest retailer but, see, the, I mean, this, hasn't this been the criticism of the administration, at least by much of the business community, which is you haven't given us time? Um, and I realize, by the way, the China you know, dynamic has been going on for 15 months now. So that, that maybe that's flimsy. Um, but I think in the case of really stepping it up and getting to this place in this impasse where now, I mean, obviously, Huawei has been, you know, OK, maybe we've. The headlines tell you that we're going to have another delay. And that was yesterday's rally. Uh, but the reality is, I don't think that a lot of companies have any sense the administration is, is giving them the heads up that they need. So, I mean, that phone call may be, may be well placed. But what, you know, what are they going to say? I don't, I don't know that they're going to be able to have a dialogue. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I think that they're going to say, hey, we're, we're handling it pretty well, because we that, can. That Walmart's <laughs> going to say that? Yeah. I wonder we're if concerned. the dynamic is something else. Oh, on the phone, something else? On the gonna... phone with Wall Street, a different dynamic? No, I mean that the calls ingoing to the Trump administration from the CEOs yeah. are going to be right, right. really sort of, hey, you have to do, do something, something to fix this situation. Not, oh, how are we managing it? Right. More pressure which on is, the Trump Which is ultimately the bullish case for stocks. Maybe not right here, right? But if you get a sell-off in the stock market and CEOs are calling up the White House saying, hey, you got to stop, do, you got to do something about this, that's actually the time you want to buy this market. It's going to look ugly. We'll probably have an after-hour special about markets and turmoil. <laughs> those are the days to buy. Don't ridicule markets and turmoil. No, I we love those. In turmoil. I they love are those. really in turmoil. No, I understand, but I, I like those days. <laughs> Let me ask one last question here. If you were to put together a basket of China levered stocks that will go higher, have that sort of outsized move to the upside, if there is a trade deal, should retail be in there? Has to be in there. I think retail is using that as a major headwind. So retail has to be in there. And then it's all the China related names. You got to go. You want to go retail and you want to go China. You go Alibaba. Retail wasn't uh, or isn't the only warning sign for stocks. The man who called last year's sell-off says we are already in a bear market and it will only get worse from here. That's Brian Markusko, the CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Morgan Creek Capital Management. Mark, welcome back. Great to see you. Hey, Melissa. Great to see you. How much more do we have to go then in this bear market that you say we're in? Yeah, look, you know, we, we talked about it last October that you know, we thought that uh, the end of 2018 we'd finish down low single digits. That kind of happened. We thought that this year we'd get a couple of, of bear market bounces. We'd bounce around. And then by the end of the year, I think we'll see low double digit losses. And I, I think the big down year is, is the credit crisis that's coming in 2020. So I think, uh, you know, 12 to 14 percent by the end of the year wouldn't surprise me at all. You say you love EMs. Can you tell us which ones? You love them back then. Ha- has your view changed at all? And has your view of certain EMs changed? Yeah, it's great. So, you know, back in October, we talked about the carbs, China, Argentina, Russia, Brazil, South Korea. I don't really like South Korea, but I needed an S. So I added that in there because they're really a developed market. Carbs. Um, nice. But if you look at that since, October, since September, 
those five countries are actually ahead of the S&P. The S&P is a little bit down. Uh, Brazil's up nicely. China's up nicely. Argentina's kind of flat. Um, going forward from here, to answer your question, we still like China a lot. We think it's very cheap. Anytime you buy China below 10 times earnings, that's a good thing. Uh, I kind of like Argentina because people hate it. And I usually am drawn to things that people hate. Brazil's had a good run. I'm a little more skeptical about Brazil's short term. And then Russia, I actually agree with the commentary from a few minutes ago that with oil prices probably heading a little lower, I'd probably step back a little bit from Russia. And, and you know, what's interesting about South Korea, South Korea is in free fall. It's one of the four horsemen of the growth apocalypse. So you got copper prices, Dr. Copper, you got 10 year yields, you got oil prices and the Cospi. When those four things are declining like they are now, you're usually going to have GDP surprise to the negative, earnings surprise to the negative, and stock surprise to the negative. Hey, Mark, it's Tim. So I, I, I hey, Tim. agree with the concern on the, the credit dynamics, and we talk about the yeah. debt-to-GDP levels, et cetera, the triple B threat that's out there. Um, yeah. How does how does EM outperform in that environment? I'm someone that obviously you know comes at this from a generally bullish position on EM. I look at the blowout in EM currencies. I look what the dollar's doing. It's about to break out to fresh, uh, you know, you know, 15, 18 month highs. Yeah. Um, yep. How does EM how do EM currencies reconcile that? No, look, that that's a really important point. And if you look over the past 12 months, EM currencies have been a really big drag on EM returns. Uh, I think the dollar rally is, is kind of peaking out here. I think we're going to kind of roll over a second half uh, as we see a lot of weakness, particularly around oil. Uh, so I agree with you that that has been a headwind. And I'll, I'll use 70s music. So in the U.S., I'll use Box Turner Overdrive. You ain't wow. seen nothing yet. And wow. in EM, we're going to use Go Your Own Way. I think EM is so cheap relative to the rest of the world. Now, look, if we have a really bad downturn, EM is going to go down too. So I like, you know, uh, to intermittent fast here. So we, we carb loaded in the first quarter. Let's do an intermittent fast over the summer, and then we'll carb load again in the fall. All right. Um, growth apocalypse sounds pretty terrible, Mark. So I, I'm curious, <laughs> when, you, when you take a look at the Fed, and the Fed minutes were, were released today, and it seemed like yeah. they opened the door to a possible rate cut if, if growth uh, if inflation remained to the downside and, and was anchored below 2%. How do you view yeah. the Fed in, in this growth apocalypse? Is it a floor under how bad it could be, or is it an accelerant of this growth apocalypse scenario? Yeah, I, I mean, really important point. And growth apocalypse is, is hyperbolic for, for effect, so I, I agree with you. And when I say growth apocalypse, I mean, you know, one handle for the second quarter, maybe lower for the third quarter, and recession sometime late this year, early next year. Again, shallow recession, like 2001. People forget for the whole year of 2001, Growth was positive. We just had two negative quarters. They weren't even back-to-back, -back, but it was still a recession, and the market still fell a, a, a lot over the, the next eight, 18 months. So the Fed, to me, is reiterating the problem. When they say that they're closer to a rate cut than a hike, that says to me that we're closer to economic weakness than strength. High interest rates are a sign of economic strength. Low interest rates are a sign of economic weakness. That's been true for centuries, and it's true today. So anytime that the Fed has paused and gone into rate cut mode after a rate hike cycle, look back. They did it in 2001. They did a bunch of cuts. We had a 58% peak to trough drop in the markets. We had a recession. They did it again in 2008. They did a bunch of rate cuts. We had a 65% peak to trough drop in markets and a recession, global financial crisis. We don't want the Fed to pause and start cutting 
because that means they see weakness, not growth. Hey, Mark, it's BK. So this all sounds pretty terrible for most investors. Um, What do I put my money in? And, And please say Bitcoin. Oh, come on. I knew oh, that you asked that question the softball for him to knock out of the park. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, no, look, go ahead, Mark. What, my... do you think, what do you think here of Bitcoin? Do you think that it has I'm legs, even wearing, more legs the upside? I'm even wearing my Bitcoin tie today. I got my Bitcoin tie on for you guys. Look, you know, I was lucky. I happened to be on Melissa's uh, more afternoon show back in December. The week it was at 3100 And she said, what do you think? And I said, look. We've issued the Morgan Creek Digital Crypto Challenge. We will take Bitcoin over the next 10 years, starting on January 1st, and we'll take anybody who wants to take the other side, million-dollar charity bet, just like the Buffett-style bet. We got no takers. Now, it's a good thing they didn't take it because Bitcoin's up over 100% this year. The s and is up 14 But I think going, here, going forward from here, even over the next year, over the next 10 years, it's not going to be close. Bitcoin is a great diversifying asset. It has very low correlation. It should be in everybody's portfolio. All right. Um, I'm sure we'll speak to you before the end of that bet, that term. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Mark Yuskum, working Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Capital. S- some people might say he lost a bet wearing that tie. Oh, <laughs> oh. I'm just kidding, Mark. No. Hey, BK <laughs> gave him that tie. Yeah, exactly. Don't say that. That was a gift. <laughs> so I think 100% a couple, rail. A couple things going on there. I, 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 I agree with him that I think cutting rates is a, is a sign of weakness. <clears throat> I think the Fed is really running out of bullets. The problem, though, with cutting rates at this point or the problem with the whole macro environment is there is no inflation. And the, every economist can't tell you why there's no inflation. So this, I don't know if it's a product of the global environment that we live in. We're just not going to, he, he's overlaying a metrics that doesn't exist any longer. But I'll touch on the Bitcoin thing. I think the gold, Bitcoin inverse correlation, if you think Bitcoin's going higher, then you sell gold. Aaron. I mean, I'm sort of a believer in Bitcoin. Who knows in the short term? But I, I, I you know, I'm long I'm sort not of BK, a believer. Basically. It doesn't sound like a no, heavy endorsement. I have no, no idea where it's I mean, going to go. Right? I wouldn't take the other side of that million-dollar bet, yeah. right? Um, so, and in terms of the other thing, the thing that he said about the Fed cutting, that would be a bad thing. The Fed would be in response. That's sort of saying, like, if you have to have this treatment, if you don't do the treatment, you're not sick. Right? I, right. I think the underlying data is what it is. Right. It's either the weak yeah. and the Fed responds right. or it's not. Or it's not. Right. right. So uh, that part I don't agree with. But, you know, he's a smart guy. All right. Coming up, Tesla Inferno, the stock crashing again today. Karen says there's something under the hood that could signal more pain ahead. Plus, Qualcomm sinking more than 10 percent for its worst day in two years after a judge ruled it violated antitrust laws. We've got the details. And later, even as the markets fall in May, a handful of stocks are at or near all-time highs. We'll tell you which ones have more room to run. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. 
We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money, a major buzzkill for Qualcomm. The stock having its worst day in more than two years after a federal judge ruled against the chipmaker in an antitrust case saying it suppressed competition and bullied licensees. The ruling coming just a month after Qualcomm and Apple reached a settlement ending a two-year legal dispute between the tech giants involving Qualcomm's licensing practices, which sent Qualcomm shares soaring. How does this shakeup affect this chip space? Well, first of all, it really impacts Qualcomm. I mean, listen, they have for two years since 2016 have been trading in this range from 50 to 70, all on the idea that they don't, there's uncertainty about what's going to happen with Apple. They finally got their mojo back and boom, they got hit with another lawsuit, another legal issue. I think Qualcomm in, individually is probably a no touch. It probably goes back into this range trading. So if you like to range trade, that's probably the way to do this. On the broader chip space, I think that's going to trade a lot more with the economy, everything we talked about previously. So, so, you know, chips are more of a macro trade. Qualcomm going to be a trade. Uh, but does this, uh, does this bleed out to the rest of the chip space? And this, this is their whole existence. Yeah. If you have to renegotiate your existing licenses and then separate those businesses, and if you have a licensing business, a chipset business, uh, you don't survive. So, I mean, this is... This is the yeah, worst case scenario. It was good for them. At no, all. I wasn't yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that I wonder. I don't know if this is a standalone issue with just Qualcomm, or if you can bleed out. I know Qualcomm's the biggest that we could talk about, but the, this, it's not good for the well, entire. We're space. just talking about how this completely changes how you can even view their revenue stream. If they can no longer charge a percentage of, of, of sales, ASPs, of sales, right yep. of sales. Then, then how do you how do you think about what money they bring in? At well, I, I don't think you know. And right, we just said they're going to have to renegotiate. It. I wonder what this means for their Apple deal too, because right. you know, ultimately that deal, which which you you have to give Apple credit um, for standing in there and actually mm-hmm. pushing back on. Who else could do this but Apple? Um, and it was devastating for Qualcomm for for a couple of years. So um, I, I think this look this has far-reaching effects for the entire I, I think cell phone industry. Even though people are doing cartwheels today, probably in the hardware world, I, I don't think we've heard the end of this. For more on Qualcomm and the chips, go to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. As Wall Street wavers on trade fears, there's a handful of stocks that look untouchable to the volatility. We'll tell you what they are. Plus, I want to ride my You bet you do. Because bike and scooter sharing is taking the world by storm. And it could be the next big thing in the IPO rush. The co-founder of Lime will be here later this hour. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow. 
today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Tesla turmoil picking up speed after another bearish note from Wall Street. This time it was Citi saying 36 bucks is the worst case scenario for the stock. Tesla's now on track for its worst month in more than a year, but one group on Wall Street has been cashing in on this move. A Leslie Pickers back at headquarters with the details. Hey, Leslie. That's right, Melissa. The chorus of Tesla downgrades is music to the ears of short sellers. Those with bearish bets on Tesla have raked in more than a billion dollars in profit this month. They've made nearly $4 billion on Tesla's declines year to date. And this comes after three consecutive years of losses for Tesla's short sellers as the stock price moved higher. For those longtime Tesla bears like David Einhorn, the wait appears to be finally paying off, but this is really one of the few bright spots for shorts as the hedge fund industry increasingly abandons that side of the trade. Overall short interest relative to market cap of the S&P 500 is at 1.7 percent, the lowest level in 13 years, 2006, before the financial crisis. Short selling in individual names has become less and less common in recent years as the bull market pulls stocks higher. Investors have been burned too many times on their bearish bets, so they've been making fewer and fewer of them. Hordes of short biased hedge funds have gone out of business as a result. But short sellers may be partially to blame for some of Tesla's recent stock plunge. One Bank of America analyst writing, quote, it appears much of the pressure on the stock over the past few days, weeks, has been driven by shorts pressing aggressively. The firm said that may mean shares will soon jump from a short squeeze on any good news. But other analysts seem less convinced. Tesla has seen 12-month estimates for its stock price get cut a dozen times in just the last month. And bad news continues to trickle out with consumer reports saying that Tesla's autopilot function raises serious safety concerns. Melissa. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker back at headquarters. Tim Seymour is one of those shorts. How do you think about the short position now? Well, you know, first of all, we, we know that Elon Musk was exercising options. There's some sense that this is a guy who thought his company was worth a whole lot more than it is, and he's doing it now at a level when clearly it seems like there's a collateral requirement. To me, uh, look, Morgan Stanley's Adam Jonas did a call today, and I thought it was a great call because I think, you know, ultimately this is a guy that has at times seen a bullish side. And what he talked about today, I think, is the most notable thing. He talked about a lack of demand, and he talked about a lack of demand also uh, in a place like China at a time, by the way, we're going through some kind of a technology cold war uh, and a company that's relying on robotics, you know, something to think about. The other side of it is uh, Tesla's debt really becomes a big problem when, in fact, the company's not growing. Debt for any company becomes that. And he, he stressed restructuring. And so to me, if you're a short here, I don't care how much the stock's gone down. Um, I, I think people, uh, th- this is what you've been waiting for. And, and I think the focus on short sellers and the social media stuff here, I, I've never seen a sideshow like this. I mean, this is not the story. People are, are, are vilifying people that are doing a lot of work on the company. And I think, in fact, it, it's coming to fruition. All, all, it's not been noise. I, I think the bulls and the bears on this stock have been vilified yeah, and nothing in between. Right. <laughs> but I mean, in, in, terms, right. in, in terms of thinking about, don't, not thinking about how much the stock has gone down, if you are short, shouldn't you think about how much you've made on the way down and either decide I've been rolling down I mean, puts and, and so basically just, yeah. and so taking some profits, but definitely pushing them down. I went from 240s to 175s out in September. So that's, that's an interesting to do it, right? Just taking your profits as you go along. Right. I, I do think at some point, and maybe it's 150, that's where I thought last night I said, maybe at 150 you start to get a bit of a short squeeze. I think that's probably where you'd stick, stick your toe in for a trade. 
Grasso. When the SEC news hit, we were sitting on the desk. Which, I, which, which, yeah, which SEC news? Yeah, that's the, the, the first one. The where, funding where the secured. Funding secured. Okay. That's where I thought the stock would be cut in half. And I, and, and I believe it was anywhere, you know, on a daily, daily basis, it could be anywhere from 280 to 300. So I agree with BK around that price level where I think it's like a 130, 150. But if this story ends, and this is no longer that cult stock where everyone has to get in, and you're starting to see top 10 holders, big big accounts that are liquidating oh, yeah. that were never liquidating yeah. before. For quarters then now. the story's I mean, it's over. It's not just a single quarter. It's been at least so a couple why would quarters. You, yeah. So why would you cover it? I mean, again, the fundamentals are right. deteriorating. The institutional base that kept this thing alive. And, and again, the call today, I'm not going to put words in anybody's mouth, but there was a focus on this is a restructuring opportunity for a company that, that maybe doesn't even want to do that. The stock has tumbled, and so have the bonds, and Karen's been yep. looking at the bonds. You say it could be signaling some more pain. Why don't you head over to the I do. Plasma. I always say that Give I think that print. the debt investors are much smarter than the equity investors, and I think the debt investors have something to tell us here. So let's take a look. And these are the new bonds that they priced on May 2nd of this year. I think the stock was 244. And so the first day, the stock actually traded up to 255, and the bonds traded above par, and that was fun. Then you started to see concerns about Tesla get worse and worse. And so these bonds have traded down to about 89. But let's remember, they only have a 2% uh, coupon. Let's remember, some of the value of these bonds is you have a five-year call. If Tesla starts to trade over 310, these bonds are convertible into Tesla stock. So this is a very, convertibles are very bullish. But let's look at just the credit part of Tesla. Let's look at another, let's go to our next bonds. These are, there's no convertible element here. This is just Tesla credit. So we saw right here when they announced they would do a financing that the bonds traded up, good, there'll be more, cap, more, more uh, capital in the company, that's good. The concerns again, and these bonds have started to trade down. And if we look at where they are now, remember, this is just credit only. There's no element of conversion here. Let's look at our next chart. And let's look at the, the credit cost of these bonds. These bonds yield over 9%. Okay, over 9%. So that means if Tesla wants to go back into the market, this is a yield to maturity. If Tesla wants to go back into the market to issue more debt, it may be difficult, but they're going to be have to be paying over 9% to do that. So it's difficult to get a deal done, but it's also, remember, difficult to service debt when you have to pay 9%. Just as a, as a reference, if you think about GM or Ford, if you look at similar senior unsecured bonds, they're trading in half the price, four, four and a half-ish or so. So this is, should be really a concern for Tesla shareholders about how poorly Tesla's debt is trading. And that's when we get into this sort of vicious cycle where the stock goes down, the bonds trade badly, the mm-hmm. cost of service, that debt goes up much more, and that's even more trouble for the company. Well, the company's gross debt to market cap has never been higher. So I guess the question, Karen, is ultimately, um, you know, what, what do you envision, I guess this is really, yeah, what do you envision the, the impact over the next kind of, the short term? Is there, is there a press against these bonds as well that's going to be more aggressive downward pressure on the equities? I, I mean, that could happen. I'm not sure. I think that one of the things, though, I mean, you could see in the convert some trading around the stock, but it makes me think, first, they should have done more of an equity and, and right. debt raise at the time. I think we all thought that. The second thing is maybe they need to start issuing equity, which is dilutive, I know, but when your debt costs this much, maybe you need to start issuing equity. 
So, hey, go ahead. Sorry. So, Karen, when you when you really look at this, this does look like a ten dollar number to me. When I when I look at the equity, wait, does it, you, you see Adam Jonas's ten dollar well, there. Well, the way she maps it out on the chart. screen, it, it looks like it can't, it can't survive. But is there an element to the when we start to see Apple was sniffing around a couple of years ago? When we start to see that Google was sniffing around a couple of years ago, is there any element to that where he could just be looking for a white knight to come in and save the day? I, I mean, I, it's possible, of course. That would be a, that would be the largest deal Apple has ever done. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Google thinks they don't need it with Waymo. I'm not sure. It's just that it's an expensive company. Even with it trading down, it's still an absolute dollar value. It's a very big company. To me, issuing equity solves some of the problem. All right, Chairwoman, thank you for that fine print. Well done. Coming up, check out these untouchable stocks sitting at or near 52-week highs. As the markets are under pressure, we'll tell you which ones the traders say could head even higher. Plus, scooter mania sweeping the country, turning it into a multi-billion dollar industry almost overnight. We'll talk to the co-founder of one of the largest players in the space, Lime. More Fast Money, two minutes away. Welcome back to Fast Money. Trade War is putting Wall Street through the ringer this month, but a handful of seemingly untouchable stocks are sitting at highs. Names like McDonald's, Visa, Waste Management, Hershey, and Costco all touching records. Love month. Hammer, by the way. Do you? You got to love Hammer. Pants are great. Pants. Great pants. Uh, this says the S&P 500 remains more than 3% from its high, and the Dow hasn't seen a fresh high in nearly eight months. So with these stocks bucking the market trend, we thought it'd be a perfect time to play a little. That is right. Trade Strange. it or fade it. Strange we name. know how it works, I think. So no. let's kick things off with Hershey. Grasso, trade it or fade it. Hershey. Fade it. I'm going to start right out of the blocks, tell you what I'm doing. Fade it. But everything looks good in this. At all-time high, as you stated, up 22%. Great cash flow. Double-digit EPS growth. The problem is they were helped an enormous amount by the tax cuts. You're not going to get that going forward. Growth is slowing. Fade it. Anybody else? Yeah, no. I mean, I'm fading this one, too. (laughs) I mean, I'd love to trade it, but I mean, ultimately, again, this valuation makes zero sense to me. And and what do they do at Hershey's that's suddenly... They make chocolate. That's what I thought. So why why, why is the multiple tripled? Sorry, I'm out. Wow, it's a group... That was a group fade. That was the first in Fast Money History group fade. All right, Visa. Yes. Trade it or fade it, Karen? Well, I'm long MasterCard, so you can't possibly be long MasterCard and want to fade Visa in any big way. I mean, you know, I believe in the, the, the structural change. It's, it's ha- happening, been happening, continues to happen. The growth is still there. The only thing it gives me pause is the valuation is high, but I'm still hanging on. I'm trading it. Yeah, I'm trading as well. I mean, both of these names look really good. And the great thing about all these stocks that are at 52-week highs, everybody in them has a profit. So you don't have a lot of overhead resistance, which I kind of like. So both MasterCard and Visa, I'd be trading them. So you have more people. You have more digital payments. It's only growing going forward. The chart long term is is unbelievable, like no others. And to Karen's point, MasterCard is outperforming on a year-to-day basis. But I think you have to own both Visa and MasterCard. That would be a trade. Uh, look, I'll, I'll fade this one just to yeah. not have another clean sweep. <laughs> and, and weren't we talking at the start of the show about concern about retail and about the consumer? And you I realized, were. you know, uh, well, maybe I was. Um, so I'm fading this one. I mean, just 
out of consistency. That's what I like to be. Uh-huh. Next up, McDonald's. Brian Kelly, Trady Freighted. You know, I'm going to switch it up on this one. I am a fader of McDonald's. It's not necessarily I don't like McDonald's. They've done a lot of things right. They've, they've done a lot of things right with their menu, but this has had a tremendous run. And at 25 times next year's earnings, in this market environment, I'm looking for a place to take some profits. And McDonald's is the place to do it. You're long, right? See, I'm, I'm, I'm trading this one all day long. And, and when I look in the fast food space, I realize that maybe you can't compare it to a fast casual, but valuations almost don't even matter anymore. Look at Shake Shack, look at Chipotle, um, and look at what Steve Easterbrook's doing at McDonald's and, and changing at least the perception of McDonald's of being fast food death um, to a place where you're actually getting some, some cool gimmicks and some, some electronic and some tech and some healthier food. I got to agree with Tim. When you have a company, you know, of this kind of branding, this around the world that is executing every time again and again and again, even if it's a little expensive, and it's not crazy expensive, it's just a little expensive, I would trade it. Quick, I would trade it as well. This is one that you look at. Now, technically, $200 is a, is a huge headwind for the company. You have to get over that. 70% of revenues come through the drive through They've cut down on a bunch of SKUs. They've made it much more efficient. They did the all-day breakfast. They're getting healthier choices. That takes some money to invest in, mm-hmm. and they're rejiggering it a little bit. But I still think it's a trade it. Last but not least, waste management. Trade it or fade it, Tim? Yeah, I got to fade this one. I mean, I think, you know, if you think we're going into a period of, of lower growth and obviously being in the waste management business, these guys are in a pretty non-cyclical business. Um, but they're in a business that also with a lot of efficiencies has allowed these guys to expand their multiple at some point at 25 times. I, I think it's a little bit rich at this point. And I think it's been a function of people looking for defensive plays of which this has been. So I'm, tra- I'm going to trade this for the exact reasons that you were saying fading it or at least the non-cyclical portion of it right i mean if we are if we are going into a slower economy a recession whatever you want to call it sell the consumer let's go back to visa well right so no well the the visa different story there's a secular growth story going on there but waste management you know what the last thing you do is cancel your your garage your garbage pickup well maybe you cancel your iphone after that but most people like and you probably don't want to cancel with those guys. I'm ju- not saying anything about this. <laughs> hey, forget about it. Not about this company hey. in particular. 23%, <laughs> up 23% year to date. This is the too. slow That's and funny. steady one. They figure out a way to grow the business. They figure out a way to grow revenues. This is definitely a trade. It's stay in that trade. We apologize to Waste Management if we've offended anybody. <laughs> Coming what are you up, implying? The hey. Sensations is in, uh, is in overdrive, and we've got the co-founder of rental company, Lime, to tell us what it means for the future of the sharing economy. You won't want to miss that. Plus, check out the mystery chart. This stock feeling some turbulence today. Oh, just nice. Inches from its 52-week low. Nice. We'll tell you what's next for this stock. All that and much more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Amid the ride-sharing boom, the demand for bike and scooter sharing has gone into overdrive, and one company cashing in on the trend is San Francisco-based Lime. Lime is the eco-friendly transportation rental company founded in 2017, now in over 100 cities across the globe. Lime offers an app-based rental service for electric bicycles, scooters, and now cars. For more on the company and the future of ride-sharing economy, let's bring in Brad Bow, co-founder and executive chairman of Lime. He joins us from the Credit Suisse Private Innovative uh, Company Summit in Las Vegas. Brad, great to have you on. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me here. Hi, everyone. Um, I have not uh, had the pleasure of encountering a, a Lime scooter or a bike, but as I understand it, Brad, what, what makes you different from the city bike, which we may know here in Manhattan, is that you can rent this bike and leave it anywhere you want. Do you make money per ride doing this? 
Yeah, <laughs> for those who does not know uh, Lime and the service yet, that we are a called a dockless, you know, bike share and scooter share. That user has the flexibility to pick up anywhere and drop anywhere that's legally. And by using the GPS technology and other tracking devices, we are able to do it and very efficiently. So not only we give the user like you know faster and more affordable ride, but also that we give the flexibility from them truly from A to B. And yes, we as a company, the global leader in the micro mobility uh, business, that we're happy to report we have dozens of markets already you know are profitable. Do you make money overall, Brad? I mean, how much? For one, do you charge a consumer uh, to rent one of these bikes or scooters? Do you make money per ride? And, and I would imagine that the cost of caring for a scooter that could be left anywhere would be higher than if you had to return it to a docking station. Yeah, the, uh, I think the, first of all, that on average, that our rides cost roughly about $3.5 that across the globe there in terms of the 100 markets we're operating. So it's significantly, you know, cheaper than uh, a, a car share business in terms of the same trip. And sometimes even on par or cheaper than the public transit. That's the value we provided to the users. Meanwhile, that, you know, per trip basis, yes, that is a, a very, you know, look uh, very profitable potentially business given that we keep 100% of the revenue. This is one of the significant difference compare us versus like the right share business. And the in terms of like the, you know, wear and tear that, you know, the, it's not necessary to be worse than the dog-based uh, bike share business, right? That the, the, the device is still the device. It's just that we added the flexibility you know, to the service that provide benefit to the so users. So even if you included the cost of damage and, and upkeep and all that, um, you're still you're still largely profitable. Uh, not as a company yet, we're still growing really fast, and most of the markets that were relatively new in the market, it mm -hmm. takes a little bit of time to mature. And for the markets we are operating in, that we already have like 14, 15 percent of the markets are profitable. How do you think about total addressable market? Uh, I'm curious if you think that there's overlap, for instance, with Lyft and Uber and taxis, um, in addition to the direct competitors like a city bike. Uh, the way we look at it, the uh, you know the short trips that all the data shows in the city, which uh, I think yourself included, everyone that live in the city, anywhere globally, that we always face the the, uh, the short distance travel challenge, right? There's no good alternative today for the trip that's too long to you know, to walk and too short to drive. So the number shows that in the U.S. alone, on a daily basis, that short trip less than two miles in the city environment is about 300 million trips per day. And we ask the rest of the world, we're talking about a one billion trip on a daily basis. And that, you know, apparently there's some overlap with uh, shorter trips on the Uber and the Lyft rise. That uh, our overlap is roughly about 30 percent, 30 to 40 percent, depends on the city, that our users are replacing car trips, ride shares, personal car trips with Lime services. So I think there are some overlap, but largely is a new category that if we think about it you know, every day that you, you know, in New York or Chicago, mm -hmm. Paris, London, wherever you are, that there's no other choices or creating a new segment of this, the uh, micro mobility. And on top of that, I think compared to the bike share in the past, it's entirely different. That, you know, business model is different and the, uh, the addressable market is different. And our broader user base that range from uh, right. the age group as well as genders and all that is much broader. Okay. Brad, a fascinating discussion. Thank you. Brad Bao, co-founder and executive chairman 
of Lyme. Tim, you've actually been on a Lyme uh, <laughs> I have mobility Lyme. device. I have Lyme. And I've, I've gone from being a skeptic on the Citibank to a major advocate and user. And, and the, you know, the irony of is City that... Of Citibank. Of Citibanks, yeah. That we, we don't Lyme yet, um, at least in the part of the city I live in. But, you know, the irony is, of course, that the rideshare world has, has created such urban traffic that it's created the opportunity for the scooters and the bikes. I mean, there's no question um, that... Uber and Lyft have created a congestion issue in a lot of major urban centers that's made it so people want to get on a bike and a scooter. Um, I, I think it's fascinating. One, you could leave this one anywhere. This is not like when, nah. you, when right. you go on the, on the no, city you bike. Gotta dock you have to, you have no, to dock here, it. I can so ride a time car and assume, leave it around the taco stand down but, there. But, but, but Mel could get a taco this, and I could steal her scooter while she wasn't even looking. Well, right. if I just leave it there, then you will have to rent that I scooter might. again. But it just seems like the cities will not allow that. There's got to be some sort of scooter littering. Yeah, exactly. There's going to be a problem with that. So and what I don't understand is how they account for injuries. There's got to be like an overwhelming. Probably sign away your license. I'm not wearing a helmet. I can tell you that. Exactly. PSA, wear your helmet. You're wearing one right now. Coming up, take a look at this stock losing ground today and down more than 30 percent in just the past year. We will tell you the name and how to play the move when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. Check out the airlines hitting turbulence today. America getting hit the hardest, nearing its 52-week low. And the options market is predicting an even bigger move for the stock. Dan Nathan in Vegas with the options action. What are you seeing, Dan? Dude. Whoa. Yeah, hey, guys. Well, listen, you know, obviously the IYT, the transports, got hit today down one. Uh, 0.6%. And A, uh, AAL, uh, American Airlines, like you mentioned, Mel, um, was down 4.5%. Options volume is two times average daily volume. Um, this for a stock that's down 7% on the year and just a few percent from its 52-week lows. Today, when the stock was trading just above 30, there was a buyer of volatility, buying the June at-the-money straddle, the 30 straddle, paying about $2.30 for that. They are betting between now and June expiration. That stock will move $2.30 in either direction. We have a one-year chart. You see how important that $30 level is on a one-year basis. And then back it out five or six years, and you see that that's a massive, massive support level and an air pocket below it. So obviously this stock um, not having a whole heck of a lot of mojo to the upside, and this trader is probably leading to a, a leaning towards a downside move as it relates to the volatility in the name. Karen, you're in the airlines. Are you you're an American? I am an American. Yeah. Yes, sadly, it has been bumpy. I don't know. I just think I, I think it's cheap. If this is all 737 max, I think it's overdone. Yeah, it's interesting. IYT. It's, it's probably mostly been FedEx's move over the last couple. Of days. I mean, FedEx is down almost 20 percent in the last 20 days, and that's a bad sign for the leading indicators. All right, Dan. Nice to see you. Enjoy yourself. Dan Nathan in Las Vegas. For more options action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock on Squawk Box, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on the agenda. Trade and trouble spots around the world. Don't miss Secretary of State Mike Pompeo again, 8 a.m. tomorrow. Time for the final trade. Tim. Talked about McDonald's. Uh, you know, really at its core is that same store sales in the U.S. Are, are decent again, as in they're growing slowly, not contracting. McDonald's is an interesting call here. Karen. Yes, I liked a lot of what I heard out of Target today. I know it's hard to buy a stock when it's up as much as it is today. It doesn't mean don't buy it. Just take your time. Take your time. Let it settle in. Speakers. Uh, for the first time in a long time, oil went down on bad news. And so it says to me it's time to sell out of oil. XOP, probably to get out, time to get out of that. You know what makes me feel really positive about Walmart? That Mnuchin is 
meeting with Walmart. So I think they're going to have the administration's ear. means that it should be in your portfolio, Walmart. All right, that does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Imagine a beautiful afternoon. The sun is shining and you get to enjoy it all because you just sat down on your John Deere mower. The smooth ride lets you escape into your yard. Intuitive controls make you feel like you're one with the machine. And with attachments for every season, you can enjoy it all year long. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand what it's like to drive a John Deere mower, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.